Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It is MoneyWeb's weekly podcast where I speak to South Africa's leading investment professionals. And our guest today is Sumesh Chetty of Investec Asset Management. Sumesh, uh, welcome to the show. The current theme we are seeing now uh, is, is volatility, volatility, volatility. How do you manage uh, any asset management business in such an environment? Uh, thank you very much for having me here today, Rick. Um, the key, ultimately, is to be very clear about what you're trying to achieve for your investors. And I guess speaking to Investec today is very opportune because when we think about what we want to ultimately achieve for investors, we're looking for long-term inflation-beating returns. But most importantly, for the current market environment, we're looking to preserve capital. Now, a lot of investors are focusing on this very near-term volatility that we're experiencing, but it's been relatively well telegraphed to the market for a couple of years now. You know, since the end of 2012, 2000, uh, beginning of 2013, we've been increasingly more we've been increasingly more concerned about the toppishness of equity markets. You know, back in 2012, I think we were trading on a PE of about 16 and a half times. We went all the way up to about 20. 20 times, and now we're probably sitting on a P of about 17 and a half times. And relative to a long-term average, you know, that, that's quite elevated. The long-term average is about 12 to 14 times, depending on where you start. So we've been saying to investors, you've got to be careful about how you allocate capital. There are lots of opportunities out there, but most investors in an environment where interest rates have been so low for so long appear to be chasing growth rather than thinking about capital preservation right now. But what are you doing? Obviously, you want to tell investors just don't expect too much. Uh, you know, the party cannot go on forever. But what are you doing? Obviously, you know, investors do want to see the best possible yield. Um, we do see a lot of uh, volatility in the market. We've just come off an official market correction. But uh, in the last uh, week or so, we've actually seen some, you know, strong performances uh, in the market. So what do you do sure. in a market like that? So what, what we've been doing is we've been focusing on the opportunities that give us the best cash underpins. And when I talk about the best cash underpins, I'm talking about those businesses that are, are generating the highest free cash flows and where those businesses are also either paying dividends or buying back shares for investors. So on that basis, um, we've been making use of the full um, allocation to offshore assets right now. So we're sitting at the maximum 25%. In fact, we're sitting over that, given that um, the movement in the currency has, has taken us over that to 25%. And then outside of the allocation to what are effectively high-quality blue-chip opportunities offshore, the likes of Nestle, the likes of Microsoft. Um, locally, we've been ensuring that we have similar exposure. So, you know, we have big holdings in the Opportunity Fund to British American Tobacco, Steinhoff, Mediclinic, um, Richmond, you know, stocks that diversify global exposure. I mean, uh, somewhat differently to the rest of the funds out there, we've actually increased our exposure to uh, local bonds quite significantly because on an eight to eight and a half percent um, guaranteed yield over the next 10 years, uh, that's something that investors should take advantage of, especially given that we are in a climate where growth in South Africa is deteriorating so rapidly. Th those bonds represent a fantastic real yield, and, and we think yields are most likely going to go lower over the next couple of years. Mm. Obviously, if you, you know, uh, approach a more conservative um, you know, strategy um, or position, you may cut your future um, performance. Uh, do you think we will see significantly lower performances across the board in the, uh, in, in most of the funds we see now? 
Well, um, we're actually already experiencing it. The the deterioration in overall returns has actually happened a little faster than we expected. Um, we expected a correction in markets, but I mean, if you look at what markets have generated over the last 12 months, you're effectively looking at about 1% out of the local equity market, 55 to 6% out of the local bond market, um, 6% out of cash, and of course you've seen this massive 20% deterioration in the RAND. So, you know, your offshore assets have done, have done very, very well for you. So, this, this um, poorer return environment is very much upon us now. But what, what worries me is I don't think investors realize it. You know, you pu- pull up the, the rolling returns of most funds out there today, and it's actually shocking how poor results are relative to um, 12 months ago. Now, I'm not in any way slating investment managers. What I'm saying is that the opportunity set has actually deteriorated so significantly. So off the top of my head, if you look at the 12 months to, um, to, 2000, uh, to June 2015, you know, the all share generated a return of 4.7%. 3.8% of that came from one stock. So if you weren't the holder of one, of one of the most expensive stocks on the exchange, NASPAS, the opportunity set back in June already was 1.1% over 12 months. So we're very much in a period of significantly lower returns, but we haven't had an appropriate correction in the market yet because the market's still at elevated levels, especially after mm. – such a, a strong day like the one we had yesterday. Mm. Well, and if you were invested in any of the uh, you know the big uh, commodity stocks, uh, the performance would be even worse. You're correct, it's significantly worse. In fact, it's industrials that have been driving. Of course, I mean everyone knows this. Industrials that have been really driving the returns on the exchange with um, appropriate contributions coming from the financials. But the resources sector has been hit hard. You know, we've got we, we, gold really hasn't come to the fore um, in this very volatile environment, which is which is not unsurprising given the concerns or the uncertainty that we have around the interest rate environment and the the strength of the dollar. But as South Africans, we've seen declining um, platinum prices, we've seen declining iron ore prices, and off the back of that, we've just seen a deteriorating economy because the demand for commodities, which previously has been led for China, has just dried up. I want to talk about your Investec Opportunity Fund. Uh, it's one of your, your, your flagship funds. Um, and I see you, unfortunately, do not own Naspers, but uh, <laughs> you do own MoneyWeb Holdings, uh, which I can uh, you know, tell you I did, did, did not perform as well as Naspers did over that period. Why don't you own any Naspers? Uh, so the primary reason for not owning Naspers is um, our, our desire to hold businesses that will um, provide you with an appropriate risk underpin. So in other words, we want to ensure that there is more upside risk than downside risk in a particular stock. And at current valuation levels for Naspas, we just think that there's too much uncertainty. Now, Naspas, of course, is a fantastic company. It's a company with fantastic growth prospects, but ultimately, those growth prospects appear to be perfectly priced in. And so the concern that we have is if there's any kind of hiccup with regard to those growth prospects, because of course everyone's making assumptions about the ability for NASPAS or more specifically Tencent to monetize its user base in China if they aren't able to meet those expectations. A stock with such a high rating is, could be in for a, a material correction. And in a conservative portfolio, we don't think that you should have significant exposure to a stock um, of that nature. And when that stock is priced so highly, we wouldn't want to hold any of it. So unfortunately, that does result in um, 
some pain relative to um, the performance of the Osha index or the SWIX, but ultimately we're focusing on both capital protection and inflation beating returns. So um, it, it is less of an issue, even though I can understand investors questioning not holding such a, a great performing stock. Mm. Uh, you, your biggest shareholding um are in Sassel and Asor. Uh, Sassel uh, is a pretty... The uh, resource shareholding. A resource shareholding, that is, Correct. yes. Uh, Sassel is pretty uh, self-explanatory. It's been one of the big success stories of South Africa. But Asor, wh- why are you so bullish on Asor? So Asor now sits outside of our top 10, given the the relatively poor performance that you've seen coming out of the commodity sector recently. And Asor, for, um, I guess, the listeners that might not be so familiar with it, uh, is effectively um, a diversified miner that focuses on iron ore and manganese production. But the one great thing about Asor is that it continues to be cash flow generative, but it has a massive ability to actually withstand a lot of volatility in the commodity market. Now, we are always very suspicious of any kind of forecasts around commodity prices. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. You can't just look at supply and demand. Supply and demand doesn't ever seem to get you there in terms of uh, an appropriate forecast. You know, we've been seeing supply and demand uh, calculations over years, and ultimately they always tend to be wrong. So what we're saying is we want to invest in companies that, irrespective of where the price is going to go in the short term, so let's say um, iron ore to fall to $40 from current level, we know that that company is actually able to withstand that for a number of years. And Asor currently has almost 5 billion rands on its balance sheet in cash, and that's half its market cap. So if they were to move into a position where they were actually producing iron ore um, at a loss over the short term, um, they'd be able to comfortably withstand that. And of course, that can't be said for all mining companies in South Africa right now. You know, there are some companies that are actually at the margin in terms of that ability to um, uh, to remain self-sufficient and will probably have to raise more capital, but just always isn't one of those companies. So but, once again, we're trying to focus on the highest quality, lowest risk opportunity set. But surely you must be or start to look at some of these other commodity counters. Uh, many of the prices have really fallen sharply. And, and and when do you think uh, they, you, an investor should start looking at it? Because obviously they do offer value. There are concerns on whether they would be actually, you know, start to, to, to provide, you know, growth uh, in their earnings. Um, mm-hmm. But when do you start looking at those counters? You know, I'm looking at BHP Billet and um, Glencore, especially, uh, and Anglos. Good, no, good you, quality you, stocks. You should be looking at them right now. In fact, we've been looking at them for the last year or two, you know, and we're, we're debating them on an ongoing basis because ultimately um, the largest opportunity set potentially could be in resources if you see any kind of rebound in resource prices from current levels. But with our current view of the world, we're actually struggling to get behind that. So given that we have oil exposure, given that we have iron ore exposure, you know, you look to gold exposure, which we aren't interested in taking outside of the new gold ETF, given that there's negative operational gearing um, in the gold producers right now. And unfortunately, platinum companies seem to be going the same way. So the one platinum company that potentially becomes very interesting is, is Anglo Platinum. Now, they're still cash flow generative. If platinum prices fall significantly below current levels, um, they are going to be um, increasing elements of their business that aren't going to be able to produce cash. But of course, the recently announced potential Sabania Gold and um, 
a sale of Rustenburg from Amplat to, to Sibania makes Amplat a more interesting company. So when we clarity on that, when there's a little more certainty, once the deal is approved and you actually see a business that can focus on its Mokalakwena operations, which are highly cash flow generative, you know, Amplat becomes more like a saw in terms of a business that can more easily weather fluctuations of the price. So the one thing I would always caution investors about when it comes to resource companies, to what extent can that resource company suffer further falls in commodity prices? Because if you're just buying a commodity um, producer today that is, is barely cash flow generative, ultimately what you're betting on is prices going up from current levels. And that alone makes me uncomfortable. Just uh, I'm going to return to the, the theme of volatility. Do you think the, the risk profile of the JSC and you know probably emerging markets uh, is changing um, due to the volatility we are currently seeing. We're seeing a lot of liquidity in the market. A U.S. tightening of interest rates would uh, have an impact on that. Um, how do you think investors should view the market? Do you think increased volatility does um, mean increased risk? Um, I think I think the risk was all, all, always embedded within the JSC and within emerging markets. And I think what the volatility is showing us is that investors have become more appreciative of those risks. And unfortunately, what has masked those risks over the last couple of years are the artificially low interest rates. So the, the risk of increasing interest rates, you've already seen the Saab increase by another 25 basis points, bringing us to 6%. The risk of the Fed um, actually increasing um, rates now really focuses the mind in terms of, well, the money that we're utilizing to purchase stocks, for example, isn't as free as we thought it is. There's a there's very real cost that's being attached to that investment. And then one has to be careful about uh, the extent to which you can um, bet on whether or not the market will continue going up from these levels. And, and I think that's what's really happened. It's a, it's a proper appreciation for risk. And I would always say to investors, you, you've got to be careful. Now, I, I don't think that interest rates should be going up, given the, the nature of our economy currently and given the potential concerns around the numbers we've seen coming out of the U.S. But the reality is, um, even though you don't have normalization, uh, there are going to be structural changes in the economy that investors haven't appropriately factored um, into their view of the world. Mm. Uh, just lastly, uh, the uh, Opportunity Fund has a TER ratio of 1.9%. That is, you know, uh, relatively in the middle, I would think, of, of the actively managed funds. But the volatility, does it suit or should it uh, um, incentivize uh, investors to rather go for an actively managed fund with a higher TER uh, in this market environment as opposed to going the passive route? Um, very much so. You should you should definitely be focusing on managers who are active right now and who aren't cognizant of the benchmark. So one of our greatest concerns about just buying the index right now, even buying something that looks very close to the index, is that from current levels, the JSE is only primed to give you 1.5% real over the next 10 years. So if you assume inflation is going to be 5%, that gives you a number of 7.5%. And bonds, which are have one-third the risk of the equity market, um, bonds will give you 8.5% 
over the next 10 years. You know, assuming you don't think that the South African government is going to default, that, that's a 1% higher return, um, but with, the, with a third of the volatility. So I would be very, very cautious about buying the index right now because at the end of the day, I mean, if you think of it this way, if you think about the returns that you're generating, buying the index today um, is uh, pretty much buying NASPAS given how large the stock has become um, in, in our universe and given its contribution to the overall returns that we've experienced over the last couple of years. But having said that, if you look back at the past uh, few years, passive funds have outperformed most as, um, asset managers. Why, why do you think it will be different uh, in the near term of going forward from here? Because of the risk that's, that's built um, into the index. So if we were sitting um, at a point in the cycle, um, let's say post a crash, uh, let's say this was um, anywhere between December 2008 and um, March 2009, and you were seeing significantly depressed prices, you were seeing very juicy dividend yields, and an investor said to me, I want to buy a passive fund as opposed to an active fund, I would say, look, I think you would be better off in an active fund, but I wouldn't object too strenuously to you buying a passive fund because there's value to be had in the index as a whole. Currently, there is no value to be had in the index as a whole, and stock picking is, is really important. If it was possible to buy a passive fund that focused on very small sectors or, or these subsectors, I would understand, but at the end of the day, constructing a basket of um, passive subsectors to me is the same as active management. So right now, I think active management is the way to go just because of that risk of loss. Thank you, Samesh. That was uh, Samesh Chetty of Investec Asset Management.